Blog Talk Radio. California edition. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We are back. If you want to join in and call us, we'll take your calls in about 25 minutes, 347-215-7598. And if you want to send us a tweet, you could do so at Steve UCN Live and at Gabriel underscore Montoya. Special programming note. Tom Loeffler, the head of 360 Promotions, he'll talk about that new venture, at the 8 p.m. mark after the first hour, joining us talking about various issues related to his company, and yes, I think we will bring up Golovkin Canelo too, but let's get started with round number one on the next round, and Gabe, we spoke about this yesterday, something that I've tweeted about a lot. Dana White has been making some news uh, because he's going to be joining in, the, venturing into the wacky world of boxing. And he's made it very clear that Zufa Boxing will be a player. We have money, we have the resources, we have the infrastructure. All very good things. We have the experience, we know how to promote. Again, more good things. But when he goes out and makes bold proclamations, like, I will never talk to top rank. I won't talk to Golden Boy. I think Bob Arum and Oscar De La Hoya are nutbags. I think they're scum. I think they're bad for boxing. I don't want to work with them. That raises an eyebrow. And then late last week, he gets into a pissing contest with Showtime, who, get this, had the temerity to tell the truth about pay-per-view numbers. And Gabe, it's the first time in history a network has been accused of underreporting pay-per-view numbers. So Gabe, I, I ask you this question. If you are an entity that says, forget top rank, we want nothing to do with Golden Boy, and I don't want to ever work with Showtime again, how is that good for boxing? Yeah, I, I don't really understand his play. I mean, is he trying to – we all know who he is. He just promoted, you know, Waywack, you know, and, and they're arguing about these numbers, which is the strangest argument to try and follow. He's like, you know, he's talking about, you know, global numbers. They're undercutting us by like, you know, 2.5 million. It's like, you guys broke a bunch of records. You made a lot of money. What's the problem? Like, did they not pay him or something? Uh, you know, did they shortchange him? Is, is this indicative of something else? I, I, I don't know. But, I, you know, Dana's – 
he's kind of Trumpian. Uh, you know, he did endorse him at the RNC, and he, he is a guy that likes to bluster, likes to just uh, you know tell the big lie and tell it aggressively, and then hopefully you'll buy it. Uh, just for an example, when he used to say, you know, our fighters get tested by the fucking government during the whole TRT uh, early explosions and guys popping positive. But in fact, he was referring to like state you know, testing, which is totally inadequate. And they later get shamed into, you know, doing USADA testing. Uh, the, but the guy, you know, ex- expects you to kind of back off. He's a bully. Uh, why he's doing that here, I don't know. But I've always wondered if, if Dana... Uh, doesn't seem to have a problem with TRT for a long time. If he's not only the UFC club president, but a member as well. I mean, he did start out pretty skinny with some hair, and now he's bald and raging all the time. Uh, what's going on, Dana? So you're saying that you're not surprised that Kevin Ioli didn't press him on these issues with tough follow-up questions to clarify his <laughs> position? I'm shocked. Here's the issue with that, uh, Gabe. <laughs> If it is a matter of accounting and bookkeeping and monies that are not paid, with millions of dollars at stake, and no matter how much money was procured on the record, every single damn penny counts. And when you're talking about seven to eight figure of amounts that are still unaccounted for, if you're Dana White, why not ask for some forensic accounting? Why not place a lawsuit? If if it is such a big deal about what the international numbers are, file a lawsuit. Get your money. Everyone is entitled yeah. to the money that they've earned, or is it just blustering, as you call it? And Gabe, but here's the bigger issue. Do as divided as this sport is coming into 2018, and I've already spoken at length and written about the three separate universes of boxing, which are. Um, HBO, with their set of promoter partners, as Peter Nelson would say. You have Showtime, right, uh, with their promoter partners. Um, and then the third one, I forget because I've been a little bit sick, but obviously this game is very, very divided. And there's a lot of allegiances and there's loyalties. Do we right. really need another one? It's hard enough getting good fights as it is. No, you know you're seeing little cracks in it. You know you get with the the Heyman verse, the you know top rank on ESPN, uh, and then the HBO universe. Uh, you know Eddie Hearn. There's few guys like it seems like Eddie Hearn can move around. Tom Loeffler can move around, but that's also because they're pretty classy guys for the most part. Like Eddie will go on the attack, but generally when he's attacked, uh, you know other stuff is kind of promoter speak. I I I really like Eddie's style. Uh, I really like Tom Loeffler's style. It's like you know. Uh, speak uh, you know, quietly uh, and, and have a stable full of guys that knock people the F out. Um, Dana White is uh, a neophyte here. I mean, even his, you know, he, he claims he used to be like a boxing trainer, I think back in Boston or something, but I've heard it's more, he was more like a Tybo trainer, uh, more like a 24-hour fitness guy, you know, throwing the towel over his shoulder. Uh, he's a bit of a charlatan, which I think is his his genius, you know? I mean, you don't sell a company for $4 billion or be a part of that, uh and turning away the, the, around the brand the way uh, he was a part of it with an ultimate fighter without, you know, really being smart with your marketing. But this just seems strange to me. I mean, if you're getting ripped off, then there's plenty of, of great journalists in MMA to take that story to uh, and get it done. I mean, you know, Kevin Ioli, I've always just thought of as more of a, a, of a mouthpiece. Uh, he doesn't push back with those guys. Um, he's made a great niche for himself covering both sports. He's one of the first guys to do it uh, and, and wisely so, but, 
But yeah, that interview was lacking. I don't really understand Dana's play here. How about promote a boxing show with two boxers, uh, maybe even develop a boxer or two, uh, and then start talking about Bob Arum, who, you know, uh, is famously said, the desert is strewn with bleachers of people who tried to box and promote. Uh, I wonder if Dana's going to be that guy. You know, if Dana White is a force for positive change in this business and he does great cards and memorable fights, I'll be the first one to applaud him. But I've said this for a while. The game of boxing does not need another monopolistic mob to try to freeze other people out. We've been through this. It's not good for the sport. It's not good for the fighters. And ultimately, it's not good for the fans. And I just don't understand. If you're not going to work with top-ranking Golden Boy, who no matter what you think of them – are two of the largest promotional companies with the deepest pools of talent and among the biggest stars in the sport, and then you won't work with Showtime, which is the carrier for the PBC and Al Heyman, uh, a group that is rumored to be working with Dana White should they go headlong into a partnership. What is the business plan here? I just don't believe in this business, the way it's constructed – no man can be an entity unto themselves, and uh, I want people that are willing to work with each other for the good of the sport, reach across the aisle, and put your egos aside. All I see with Dana White, Gabe, is one big runaway ego. Yeah, it's it's very strange, and I, you know, you just watch from afar how he's treated his fighters over the year. I mean, they made four billion. How did the guys? Uh, on whose back the UFC was created, get out of that deal. You know, and the guys are going to be slow <laughs> yeah. and walking terribly. Yeah. I, you know, Dana kind of makes me sick. I, I'm, I don't consider myself a capitalist. Uh, I, to me, he's the epitome of a capitalist pig, somebody that makes millions of dollars for not doing what, what he's making millions of dollars off of, you know? Gabe, you know one uh, quote or passage that he said that I thought was completely inauthentic and very almost offensive is when he basically said, I could make these guys in boxing a lot more money across the board, that even middle-of-the-road guys could make great livings. And I'm saying to myself, you know, you really didn't do that in the UFC. I mean, UFC guys were bullied, they were cajoled, they were shamed and taken fights that weren't in their best interest. And mm-hmm. going across the board, outside of the major stars like Conor McGregor and certainly like a Ronda Rousey, um, a lot of these guys were not paid that well. And this is something that I've heard for six, seven, eight years from various people in the industry. Now, obviously, you could say, but these are boxing people talking. But it's proven to be more and more correct. Boxing at the top level pays its stars about 75 to 80% of the money. In the UFC, it's just the opposite. So basically, the UFC creates a system that there is a 1%. As for the 99%, these guys are jobbers just barely making a living who are at the whims of Dana White. So my question then is, if you're a boxer, is that the guy you really want as your promoter? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. They created a bit of a mirage. I mean, you know, an, an MMA person, like, particularly a reporter, could come and correct me, but uh, I talked to somebody who was very well connected in, in, the, in the UFC that I randomly met uh, several months back. Uh, and as it was explained to me, with, you know, one of these lawsuits – they're looking to kind of make the UFC fighters employees. And if that happens, there's going to be a lot of back pay uh, in 
involved. Ooh. These guys are going to sink like a stone. Uh, so, they, you know, he's created a league that isn't quite a league. And then they, you know, they added a drug testing thing and then they sold it. Uh, you know, but, but uh, yeah, I don't look at him. There was a, there was a report like a couple weeks back, uh, in, uh, I think bloodyelbow.com about how there was once again, kind of exemptions for the, in the year round testing program of USADA, uh, you know, them overlooking the UFC, uh, with their program. There was kind of exceptions for people that would retire and then unretire, uh, you know, and kind of evade testing and then come back into the pool. Uh, you know, once again, like th- these aren't people that I want to, take power in boxing and kind of move on in. Oh, and by the way, Gabe, correct me if I'm wrong. Hasn't the UFC resisted the Muhammad Ali Act, which is basically a way of telling the fighters and their managers how much money is in the pot and what should be your fair share? Absolutely. Absolutely. Huh. That's also ongoing. So, you know, uh, you know like, like huh. when Bob Arum, who I think is able to kind of look at the fighting landscape from 30 years, you know, vantage point, but also is a politically connected guy. He knows his senators. He knows his representatives very well. Uh, says about Dana White that he's coming over to boxing because his sport is kind of sinking or his company is. I tend to listen to the old man. Wow. Again, it'll be interesting. Zufa boxing. I just remember four or five years ago, the rally cry was, boxing needs Dana White, to which I said... Be careful what you wish for. Uh, moving on, some news and notes here on the next round on the Leave It In The Ring radio network of David Duenas. Uh Gabe, February 17th from El Paso, Texas, the Don Haskins Center on Fox. This is regular Fox, as in Bart Simpson Fox. Your main event, Devin Alexander taking on Victor Ortiz. Uh, this is a great fight. Wait for it. Wait for it. In 2010. Yeah, um, you know, Devin Alexander looked great in his last fight. Uh, why is he fighting the Tortis? <laughs> uh, I, I don't, I don't understand it. Uh, at this point, I mean, do you think of Victor as like he fought once last year, beat up uh, poor Saul Corral? Uh, that was his like annual appearance. He, he lost by Andre Berto the year before. Uh, I mean, you know, he's getting started early this year. You know, uh, I guess that's the best thing that could be said here. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, weird fight. I thought, I mean, maybe it's just to, to, to something for Devin to feed on. I mean, I, I'm assuming because he looked good in his last fight and Victor Ortiz is Victor Ortiz. Yeah, it, it's interesting what's going on with Fox. I was told that maybe their last show was back in October, the doubleheader featuring Leo Santa Cruz and Abner Mars. It's obvious to me in canvassing uh, some sources in boxing, they still have a few dates on this time by. And, and people are asking, why is this on Fox, but not Deontay Wilder or some of the other better fights of the PBC universe? It's very simple, people. Showtime is paying a license fee. These Fox deals, for the time being, and again, this could change, Alexander Ortiz is part of a system of the time buys. So the quote-unquote cheaper or lesser fights will continue to be on Fox. So just keep that in mind. Gabe, I found this interesting, and I know you did too over the weekend. Sullivan Barrera, who is facing Dimitri Bivol on March 3rd for the WBA light heavyweight title on HBO, asked a question repeatedly on Twitter. Hey, I'm doing Vada. Been doing Vada. Where's Dimitri Bivol? How come he's not doing Vada? What is going on here? 
Uh, and then uh, Vadim Kornilov, a, a man that we know quite well, clarified their position, saying not only are we going to do Vada, we might do it year-round 365, 24-7. Your thoughts on that whole saga, Mr. Montoya? I coincidentally had been um, communicating with uh, Vadim all during that period. Um, and I think some of the complaint from their side was like, we're not hearing from, from you know, uh, Team Bivol, but you know, he's over in Russia right now. So, you know, uh, communication was a little spotty. You know, kind of communicate every few days. So, um, but, you know, Vadim is one of the unsung heroes of the anti-doping movement, in my opinion. He was a guy right there with Provodnikov early on when he didn't have any leverage saying, we want to do Vodisting, uh when they fought Tim Bradley. The Tim at the 11th hour went with Vada, but was initially going to go, I think, with USADA testing. Um, and Vadim, you know, he's a guy that believes in anti-doping. Uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, in this case, I, I believe him. I think he came out with a statement with uh, Michael Woods uh, that, you know, they want to go, you know, to Christy, and I, I believe him. Uh, I think Bivol might be, we'll see. I, I don't, it's too early to talk about that. But, um, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. And I, I think people don't understand how committed uh, Kornilov is to anti-doping. So I, what, I, what I didn't like about it, I mean, I want to know more. I want to know why Sully B decided to go so public. Was it after a, a few rounds of, of uh, you know, people saying no or no communication or what was it? Because I, I just think the shaming card is like the last card you should play. Uh, it, it's an 11th hour thing, sort of like with Dana White. It's like they're screwing you and you, you, nothing else is available. You go public, but not at the beginning. It's like why throw shade on Dimitri Bivol like that uh, unnecessarily? You know, let me let me defend Sully B a little bit. I do think a fighter who does partake in drug testing, legitimate drug testing, and he's under the impression that both sides have agreed to it, I think they have a right to say, well, well wait a minute, have you started? And if you haven't started, why not? And then when are you going to start? See, that, that part, I do think a fighter, whether it's Sullivan Barrera or anyone else, it, it is an unfair advantage if the starting times for the testing in terms of date are not equal, okay? Yeah, I mean, now, I think it's really... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, but, but what I'm also saying is that you're right. Maybe he jumped the gun, but, you know, these Sully B is a guy who likes to be active on Twitter, likes to stir it up. That's part of his charm or his appeal. But I, I, I would like to get a clarification from Vadim as to did Vada ever get in touch with you but as the fight was signed. What was the protocol here? You know? And is this one of those, you know, uh, Sully B's in the clean boxing program, so he's getting tested, plus he's been doing testing, which is a separate, you know, contractual thing for his last few fights, so that's his groove. He hears this is going to be a Vada fight. He wants to know what the deal is. But, you know, it, it could just be one of those things, because there are two different entities, but uh, I yeah. think, you know, one, one fix that Vada needs to do uh, is is do what USADA does and have it on your website that it updates that athlete. You know he's been tested. You know in this quarter they they divide it up in four quarters. Every time they're tested, it gets updated. That way the fighter doesn't have to do this. He can just go to the website and check it out. You know you could watch it all through like Mayweather McGregor for example. You you know I watch those testing numbers go up. They don't go up on the same day, but probably within a day or so of each other. That's fair. Yeah, uh, I'm just glad that it looks like everything has been worked out, I hope, because as I look at the early calendar for 2018, 
Uh, I would say this is one of the top three or four matchups on the calendar. Sully B against Dimitri Bivol, March 3rd. Gabe, moving on here, finally. Did you watch the fights Saturday from Ghana featuring Isaac Dogbo and Cesar Juarez? That's the the fight that I watched. Uh, you know, I didn't catch uh, anything else they had, but uh, my goodness, what an atmosphere, man. Like, I saw so many people yeah. say, and I, I would agree, I want to go to Ghana to see a fight, like, once in my life. It, it, I just love listening to, the, you know, uh, GH1, you know, the Ghanaian TV, because, uh, like, they're going to be partisan, but it's like, this is their boy, you know, this is their guy. Uh, and as he's doing well, you know, it almost uh, – Felt like listening to, to Filipino uh, guys talking about Manny Pacquiao. I was so excited. Uh, it was just great. It, it, it reminds you of why you love boxing. When you see guys from Accra, Ghana, watch out. Gabe, I'm just going to say this very clearly. I used to like Tony Weeks. Love the fact mm. that he throws a high top fade. I no longer trust him. <laughs> I just don't. I've seen too much. Mm. He's part of that Bob Bennett brigade. And when, he, when he's accepting plaques and awards from the local commission there, as he's treated like this conquering hero. Uh, uh, th- listen, I'm not saying the fight shouldn't have been stopped. Wars got drilled twice. Second left hook, froze him up in the air. It was a delayed reaction. He got up early. He was wobbly on his feet. He made the mistake of getting up too early. But he got up early. There's a reason why you call it the mandatory eight. And, and I do think... Whether people agree or not, part of your job as a referee to, is to understand the participants on that night and their track record. And Cesar Juarez hit early, rough, turbulent waters a couple years ago in a fight that looked very similar early on against Nonito Donaire. Then he gave the Filipino flash hell the last six rounds because he is a bit of a slow starter. Well, after getting knocked down in the second... Uh, I thought Cesar Juarez fought very well in the third, pretty well in the fourth. Then he got hit with that left hand in the fifth. You couldn't give him a mandatory eight and look him in the eyes? It it seemed to me Tony Weeks was in a real rush to wave that fight off and hear that cheer from the crowd. I don't know. I I just don't trust him anymore. You know, if I didn't know about that Donaire fight... It wouldn't bother me that much just because the way he, he, his legs kind of buckled, he stumbled backwards, and the delayed reaction of that second knockdown. But you're absolutely right about the rest of the fight in terms of uh, how, how they were fighting. I mean, uh, Dogby came out real fast and, and let everything go, was killing him to the body. But Juarez is a slow starter, and by the second, it was a little tighter. By the third, it was real tight. And, and fourth, you could argue for Juarez. Uh, and, and he was he was landing quality stuff. Uh, Dogby was was kind of landing, uh, uh, you know, here and there. But you you know, I couldn't I don't know enough about him. I haven't seen enough tape of him to know was how tired is he, or is this the way he is? Because kind of funky style, the way he shifts, uh, you know, uh, stances. He'll he'll shoot the left as a lead, and then he'll he'll kind of spin around and, and, and bring it to the rear. Kind of an awkward guy. Uh, so I you know I, I didn't know, but. When he landed those big shots, I mean, there were big punches that put Juarez down, and maybe that's what Weeks was taking into account, and just the, the way he took that shot and then just froze and, and fell straight back and maybe whacked his head uh, on the way down. I, you know, it's tough. You want to protect the fighter, but you also want to understand the guy's history and, and, and let the fight play out to its natural course. I just say, let's do a rematch. About that, this fight was for the interim WBO 122-pound title, meaning that Dogbo 
absolutely have the right and the mandate to face Jesse Magdalena within 180 days. And I think mm-hmm. there's a chance that fight could be on March 10th as the co-feature underneath Oscar Valdez and Scott Quigg at the StubHub Center in Carson, California. I think that'd be an outstanding card. I think Juarez, at the very least, is going to have to wait his turn. Uh, but again, we're in the fifth round of a fight. It was not the tenth. Also, if you let the fight go on for 10 to 15 more seconds, uh, you'll get a true gauge of, should I let this fight go on? Just, just rushing in and waving it off as a guy's on his feet, as unsteady as he is, I, I go back to my original point. There's a reason why we have the mandatory eight. Moving on to the Twitter timeline, of course, we start off with the president, Andrew V. Kennedy, who asked, how do you guys see the three boxing universes playing out and interacting over the course of this year? Also, can Tom Loeffler tell us on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad does Triple G want to smash Saunders for all his talking? Uh, we will certainly ask Mr. Loeffler that question. Gabe, to be brutally frank, I think the three boxing universes, I don't see them mingling all that much in 2018. I just don't. Yeah, you'll see Spider-Man in a Batman, you know, uh, movie sooner than you'll see uh, those universes in a game. Uh, you know, I just probably won't see any of that. But, uh, yeah, I, I just don't see it. There's no reason to right now. You know, you, you have more uh, insight into this than I would. Is Steven Espinosa's job somehow in jeopardy or is this some sort of power play by, by White to, you know, team up with Heyman but then maybe have this guy installed in that position? You know – that's an interesting question. Um, here's, here's the thing. Steven Espinosa is not for everybody. I know he's rubbed people the wrong way, especially some of the comments he's made, some of the tweets he's put out. But by all accounts in 2017, I thought Showtime had a hell of a run. I, I thought they no far outdistanced themselves from HBO. And, and, again, that's not a, a, just a blanket indictment of Peter Nelson, who has certain issues that he has to deal with. But that's why I found it so strange that if you are rumored to be talking to Floyd Mayweather and or Al Heyman, and you say, well, we're not doing it, I don't ever want to work with Showtime. Game, the last I checked, at least the last year or so, Showtime has exclusively been the portal for those group of fighters, have they not? Yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, what, 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 he's insulting the wrong people. Insult Bob all you want. You don't, you don't need Bob. I mean, you kind of do. But, and but, you know, uh, but then you know, it would be disingenuous of me to to uh, downgrade Steven Espinoza just because you know, I, I don't. Sometimes he can, he, his tweets can rub us the wrong way. We're all kind of dicks on Twitter, uh, and so he has every right to be as well. And I think that kind of annoys fans, but. That's the age we live in, but you can't deny the guy has done a great job. Uh, yeah, and by the way, also, if you look at the situation, three years ago, Steven Espinoza had to deal with, I wouldn't say a mass exodus, but as the PBC began its invasion with various time buys, well, he saw a lot of his marquee stars get plucked away from his network, and they started to appear on NBC, ESPN, Fox, Bounce. So he, he's been through this before. Um, so it'll be interesting how that dynamic works out. Here's a question from Corey R. 
Is the World Boxing Super Series mostly to blame for their lack of a U.S. TV deal? Their cruiserweight semis, while great matchup, are from Latvia and Russia, and the finals are in Saudi Arabia. How can they expect big money from U.S. networks with start times like that? Well, Gabe, I think it's the chicken or the egg, though. You, you could also surmise that the lack of a U.S. TV deal then precipitated them saying, oh, my God, we got to get some uh, sight fees here. We'll go anywhere for the big bucks. Yeah, you've got, you've got a thing that you've put in motion. Uh, you've got to pay for it any way that you can. And, you know, Schaefer's a, a, a crafty guy, and, and so they're making moves. You know, and Sauron is going to, you know, overseas. Uh, so I, I think that wasn't a problem. I, I think the hope was that this would be in the U.S. And, uh, you know, uh, but I, I don't know if we fully talked about this. He, t- he said it's, it's boxing politics. Dick Schaefer did. Uh, do you think it's boxing politics? Nobody wants to play with him on the network level? I think there's certainly a part of that, and I'm sure you read my article with Schaefer a couple of weeks ago. There's no doubt that HBO does not want to do business with him because I don't think they want to alienate their main content provider of the moment, Golden Boy Promotions and Oscar De La Hoya. And as it relates to Showtime, my understanding is he thought he was going to land on there. But let's face it, out of the fighters in that tournament, Gabe, how many are affiliated with Al Heyman? Hmm. None. That's exactly yeah. why they're not on that network. Uh, listen, did I think mm. it was going to be tough getting that first round of fights on a U.S. network, given the fact they went eight straight weeks right in the thick of football season? Yes. The hope was that they would procure a television deal for the semifinals, which by all accounts, the grade that I'd give them is an A. I like these fights. I think they're damn good, and I think they're going to be big events in that local area. But if you think about it, there is no network right now that's truly in the cruiserweight business, okay? The other thing Mm -hmm. is, you're right, as soon as those fights were placed in in Europe, maybe out of necessity, it it was going to be hard for a network to commit four more dates. Because even though HBO and Showtime have multi-million dollar budgets, it's still a finite amount of money, and they still have many other fighters to... Uh, service. So again, I don't know if they're going to go through any type of change. Maybe the second round of the World Boxing Super Series has to be more North America centric because you could say that, hey, that's a very parochial way of looking at things. It's very jingoistic. But Gabe, let's be honest. An American network will program towards American fighters and an American audience. That's just the reality of programming. Yeah. You know, and. and uh... These guys, you know, despite the fact that there's a lot of knockout artists in this tournament, and, and uh, I think high amount of knockouts are going to happen uh, in both in both the brackets, you know, weight classes. Um, yeah, nobody here is really a, a star here. I, I can understand that. The Super Six, I mean, that was straight from from uh, a Showtime executive was about creating an American star. This is just about creating great action fights at a high level, but uh, and crowning a guy, uh, giving him a, a trophy for the first time, you know, the Ali Award. But you know, yeah, it doesn't really have that appeal here. Uh, maybe the next next time around it will, or the final. And remember this: the Super Six. Once it got into the semifinals, this was actually written into the contract that I believe the semifinals and the finals had to be in the United States. That was specifically put in there by Ken Hirschman, who created this tournament for Showtime. Here's a question from Brian Pirro. Who's the most talented of the up-and-coming 175-pounders, Gavozic, 
B-ball, yard, etc. Gabe, I, I am on the B-ball bandwagon. He'd be my choice, and, and the reason why I say that is that he doesn't have a lot of fights, but he has a belt. He's going to take on a real guy in Sullivan Barrera. The thing that I like and why I give him the edge over Gabozic, the nail, I think Gabozic's 31. B-ball's only 26. I think age is on his side here. Yeah, he seems like he's getting better, too. He's he's relaxing a little bit more in there, uh, loosening up a little bit more in there. I, I still don't know much about his chin, but the, the, the power is spooky. The the accuracy is spooky. But, I, you know, I want to see him on, on a higher level than I have, you know. I'm trusting my eyes. But Bevel is the guy that I want to see uh, every time out. But I uh, Throw, throw the, the the rest of the guys at me. Was it all the younger guys? Anthony Yard, was he saying? Anthony it... Yard. I'd say, the thing about Yard is he certainly looks the part. Uh, as I like to say, he actually he could be on the cover of Muscle and Fitness. Um, <laughs> but it's so young. I, I don't think he's had a, what I'd call a quote-unquote real fight just yet. No. But, I, you know, Bivol, to me, I'm still waiting for that, that real resistance to, to really see him punched and pushed. Uh, it's kind of too early to tell, but he, he's the guy that I just, I really like. I like the simplicity kind of classic style that he's got. Uh, it's just something about it. When you, when you have that kind of style and then you mix in that one punch, scary knockout power, uh, that's just my jam. So I'd go with Yeah. That. March 3rd. That is the litmus test for Dimitri Bivol. All right. If you want to call in three, four, seven, two, one, five, Seven five nine eight. If you want to send in a tweet, you could do so at Steve UCN Live and at Gabriel underscore Montoya. And joining us in 27 minutes, the head of 360 Promotions, Tom Loeffler. Gabe? Uh, 805. Start off with you. You're live on the next round. Hey, what's up, guys? It's me, Nacho. Nacho, what's going on? Nothing much. Um, I heard you guys talking about the fight this past weekend. Um, I got to see it um, not live, but I got to see it a little bit later. I found a, a, a clip of it on YouTube. Um, while I agree with you, Steve, as far as maybe he did get up a little bit too early from that second knockdown, I just thought that when he got hit with the left hook, it looked like the back of his head hit the canvas when he fell down. And I just felt like at that point when he stood up, he stood up and Tony Weeks looked at him and said, are you okay? And then what happened was he started doing the sideways shuffle. And that's when uh, Weeks decided, you know what, this guy is not in any kind of shape to continue. So I personally don't have a uh, a beef with him stopping the fight only because of mm-hmm. that. I think if Juarez doesn't do that sideways shuffle, then you can make the case that it was a premature stoppage. I don't know how you feel about it. Again, I'll be consistent here, and I said this during the Zab Judah chicken walk dance against Costa Zoo. All Jay Nady had to do was give a mandatory eight. I, I mean, it's at their disposal. Last I checked, they call it the mandatory eight. You don't always have to give it. But in a situation like that, relatively early in the fight, I don't think it's the worst idea. Mm. Okay. I think, I mean, it's, I think yeah, the, the standing eight is a, is a better idea than that ass protocol they've added <laughs> where they have the guy, like, walk around you know, after he's had his bell rung. Like, oh, the field sobriety it? test that Jack yeah. Reese loves to give? 
See, that goes too far. That becomes a 30-second timeout, and I actually think you're in danger of, of elongating fights unnecessarily and therefore prolonging the beatings of certain fighters. I couldn't agree more. True. Okay, and um, as far as the uh, – you were talking about the Fox card uh, a little bit ago. Um, is it true that they, uh, they're they only pawning that, that off on Fox because they have to fulfill that deal that Al Heyman uh, put together? That's the word. Listen, uh, when you pay for that time or you have a contract, those networks, you know, they want that money, and they'll give you the airtime. So uh, there you go. I mean – it's free boxing. It's not the worst fight in the world. Um, I, I, does Caleb Plant against Porky Medina excite you that much, Nacho? Honestly, no, because <laughs> of the fact that Porky Medina is just—he's a—he's a journeyman, you know, guy at best at this point in his career. And after that beating he took from David Benavides last year, I really don't think he's got much left. You know, I think this is a, a about as a lopsided of a showcase fight as you can make for that guy, Caleb Plant, who, to be honest with, I've seen him fight a few times, and I honestly don't think he's all that great. I think he's a decent fighter, but you're not really doing him any favors by putting him in against a guy who who doesn't have much left. Um, also, the uh, – I, I was going to say, uh, yeah, that whole thing you guys were talking about with uh, Bevo and Barrera, I was a little surprised that Barrero went out of his way to try to put Bevo on blast, especially when everything's been done uh, right now during this time of year where not a whole lot goes on other than people start trying to, you know, uh, line up fights and stuff. So that was pretty interesting that he would go out there and kind of like try to shame Bevo on Twitter. And it was pretty funny that his, uh, his promoter or his manager comes on and says, oh, we have no, absolutely no problem. Uh, we're going to sign up to do Vada and the fight's on. So I just thought that Barrera went uh, prematurely out of his way to try to embarrass the guy, and it kind of blew up in his face once they said, like, oh, yeah, we're doing it. So what the hell are you talking about? Um, and the uh, – with so I, I was wondering about um, Magdaleno, Steve, because you said that he's got the fight on March 10th and he doesn't have an opponent. So is there the possibility that he fights uh, Dago right away? Nacho, my understanding is Magdaleno has to fight him next. Bottom line. So so now the issue is not if the fight's going to happen, Magdaleno-Dogbo, but when. Mm, Okay. Uh, Well, that that would be an interesting fight because, I mean, the guy looked good. Besides the somewhat controversial – Ending, he he did his thing against Juarez. He made Juarez look. Uh, Listen, I want to see how Magdaleno Gabe deals with that dogged pressure of Dogbo. Because let's face it, Magdaleno is not exactly the most Spartan guy in that ring. No, and that body attack and the, the way Dogbo like just like sold out, you know, put his just came right in and started just killing him to the body. Uh, I, I expect him to do that to Magdaleno. This is anybody's fight. Uh, I want to know if he can do that. If he's just a front runner, you know, can he do that for the for the distance? Because I mean, it's going to be a tough fight. I, I don't know if he can stop him. Uh, you know, if, if, if uh, he can stop Magdaleno, but uh, it, it's definitely an all action fight. I, I can't wait to see it. 
Yeah. yeah Nacho, we got to get running. Thank you for the call. All right, thanks. Three four seven two one five seven five nine eight. We're on for at least ninety minutes. And folks, if it's just ninety minutes, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because even though Miami is not in the national championship game, uh, I still have great interest in Bama and Georgia. Just saying, <laughs> Gabe. <laughs> Last game of the year, Gabe. Give me a break. <laughs> I, I totally understand. It's like you know the hundred eighty seventh bowl game. Uh, you got to get it in. Five three zero. You're live on the next round. Good evening, Gabe. Steve, how are you? Happy New Year. Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year, Mr. Ringside Robbie. Thank you. Um, I want to bring up a topic that you didn't bring up, Steve. What do you think about uh, the monster anyway uh, leaving 115 and going to 118 and not being on the Superfly card? Well, I think it's a buzzkill, and I said this last Saturday that. I mean, Inouye is an outstanding fighter. Probably one of the top ten fighters in the world. And even though he's had seven defenses at that weight class, I looked at that box wreck. I don't see any Johnny Tapias on that roster. Um, He didn't really leave what I would call a defining title run. I am a big proponent now more than ever of planting your flag and creating some sort of historical legacy uh, Gabe, Robbie, do you think Inouye did that at 115? No. No, no, no. He uh, made an impression. Well, look, uh, um, I, I'm not in his body, so I don't know what he's going through. Uh, but uh, I didn't, when I seen him on HBO in uh, September, I did not see a fighter that was having weight issues. <clears throat> I, I did not see a fighter that was, you know, having energy or stamina issues. <laughs> Uh, there are great fights to be made at 115, and I was looking forward to him being on the February 24th card, you know, uh, Superfly 2, because uh, he he fits the bill with the rest of those people that are going to be there. And uh, I, I just don't understand why you would give up the opportunity to be on US TV, get your name out there known to a, a new audience, and and start and continue to make regular appearances. Uh, I know three pounds. It doesn't sound like a whole lot, but I think he's making a big financial mistake. And I'm sure Tom could speak more on this, you know, when he comes on. But I but just Robbie, think this is a bad move. Robbie, Gabe, I brought this up last week on Twitter, and I've discussed this with Tom and even Peter Nelson. I love the Superfly concept. But do you think they need to be that rigid that if you're not at 115, you can't be on it? Because let's face it, I don't think the general public can tell this between a 112-pounder, 115-pounder, and a phantom weight. I, I don't want to sacrifice the quality of these shows over three pounds. Because remember, the original concept of Boxing After Dark was to feature lesser-known fighters in the smaller weight classes. Keep that in mind. Oh. It's like they, they went from not showing these fights to being real nitpicky about how they show these fights. Like, just put the guy on. Because it isn't like there aren't great fights at 118 to be made as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, him against uh, Zelani today, uh, sign me up. That's a great fight. And, and you know, I, I think it's a great thing that you said, Robbie, is that we don't, we don't we're not in his body, so we don't know. Uh, you know, uh, box wrecking it for a second. September uh, 2014, Inoue fights at 107 and three quarters, and then immediately 
December he fights again, but he jumps all the way up to 115. And he's been there, you know, up until this last fight, one, you know, the last three years. So maybe, maybe it's just time. He's 24. He's 5'5". Five, five. Uh, maybe he just felt like, you know, I, I got to move up. I, I don't know. But uh, as long as he takes the fights, I think the network should stay involved in, in those divisions. There's great fights from 18 on down. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, why, I, why don't I, we I, just call it somewhat Superfly? Yeah. Or sort of Superfly. Sometimes Superfly. Yeah, a little guy. Yeah, let's be flexible here. Yeah, under the rainbow, you know. Uh, <laughs> little fusion after dark. <laughs> no, I, you know I love the concept. I thought the first card was wonderful. I'm looking forward to the second card because I think it's one of the best cards put together so far. But here's a guy from the Orient, Japan, who everybody's talked about. We finally got a chance to see him in September. And now yeah. they're going to keep him off the card because he decides to gain three pounds? Yeah. Listen, I'm, I, I get that. I don't like it. But anyone that wants to tell me that Inouye had this great run at 15, I, I, listen, his run of seven defenses, that is the very, very definition of that phrase, quantity over quality. Uh, give me a guy willing to plant their flag and eventually create something the most overrated stat in boxing, in my view, in 2018, is the four-time, three-time, whatever-time world champion. And when you look at the resume of some of these guys, they've literally never beaten an elite fighter for any of their belts. It's ridiculous. If unified, or at least partially, is not next to that line, uh, yeah, it doesn't really mean anything anymore. (laughs) Robbie, anything else? Um, yeah, well, um, I mean, I, I have always been a supporter of people like uh, Gennady Golovkin, uh, you know, being in one division, and you don't have to force him to move up or move down or whatever. Um, also, I, I don't like this whole Dana White thing. Look, we have enough division in boxing, and for somebody that, that uh, does a weekly podcast myself, uh, this kind of stuff gets annoying. Uh, we have enough political uh, – what are we covering here? The federal government, the House and the Senate? Or are we covering the sport of boxing? Uh, we we got enough division in this country. Why do we have to divide boxing even further? Yes, Robbie, we cannot disagree. Thank you for the call. Yeah, 347-215-7598. Tom Loeffler scheduled to join us in 14 minutes. Gabe? Uh, and I just wanted to take a, a moment uh, to uh, some uh, housekeeping. Uh, if you like the show, uh, however you listen to it, uh, whether it's on, you know, the audio boom or the podcast app or iTunes, uh, please, you know, rate us, uh, give us a review. It really helps out. We're doing a big push in the first quarter of the year to get some advertising. Uh, if you want to do us another solid and join the Leave It in the Ring Network uh, Patreon, uh, you can do, you know, a one-time donation or a monthly pledge. Um, and, and really we're looking to, to start a dialogue with our patrons. We have 21 of them now, uh, and, and they really mean the world to us. Uh, and also just to throw out a shout out to uh, our top Patreon and, and sponsor, uh, JimKOTickets.com Boone. Uh, we'll be seeing and hearing from him uh, this year on, on the next round, but uh, he really uh, pledged quite a bit to us, and, and it, it really means the world to us. We're looking to upgrade a few things on the show, uh, and every little bit counts. So uh, do us that solid, and uh, back to the show. Let's hit the phone. Yeah, and I think Booney should come on next week since there is a string of shows coming up. So let's, uh, let's pencil him in for next week there, Gabe. You got it. Uh, 281, you're live on the next round. 
Hey guys, Nate from Houston. Nate, hey, welcome Nate. aboard. Thank Sounds you. Like Happy New Year. Year. Merry Christmas. All that good stuff. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. <clears throat> so, Happy um, Kwanzaa. Don't forget that. <laughs> right. Don't get me started. <laughs> Houston's very international. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you guys were talking a little bit about Tony Weeks and that that fight. I saw the I saw the replay and yeah, you know. And I, I just thought to myself, yeah, and that's a, that's the same guy that watched um, uh, Kovalev get get hit in the nuts all night long, and then with the the final blow right on target, and just went in and <laughs> ran in there and waved it off, right? Safety so first. I don't know, maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe he's uh, had his best run, and he's kind of on that on that other side. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> You know, I can only judge people like Tony Weeks on their track record and their performance. And once again, I'll say it, I don't trust them anymore. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean even, just even a guy like, you know, I, yeah, I wouldn't say that joke. I'm sorry, it's, you're only as good as your last performance, and if you've had a couple like that in a row that you're just kind of going, ah. Like, I, I want to take a look at it after what uh, Nacho said earlier and see if I can uh, capture that or, or you know, catch that uh, that little moment and maybe see it different. But the Ward thing was, was just unconscionable. You know, everybody can, you know, miss it now and again, but uh, there may be a pattern here. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I mean, someone like, you know, someone's been around a long time, maybe like a, a Joe Cortez. I mean, I don't know that he was ever really very good in the first place, but, I mean, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. No, but he was fair and he was firm. Come on, Nate. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I hope that uh, Tom Lopper has some good news for us. I can remember the deadline was uh, in a week or two ago. Ah, uh, these deadlines are flexible, Nate. Very <laughs> flexible, like a gymnast. <laughs> oh, we'll see. So over over Christmas, I I um, had a chance to sit down. I had DVR'd it a long while before, and. But anyway, I hadn't got a chance to watch it. I watched uh, the bleed for this, the uh, uh, Vinny Pazienza movie. Have you guys seen yeah. that? No, thumbs up or thumbs down, Nate. <clears throat> it was it was okay. I mean, you know, it was a little slow, but for a for a boxing movie, I'm not really into boxing movies too much. It was it was okay. I I, I caught myself, you know, kind of going down memory lane a little bit. I and honestly. I don't even remember him fighting Roberto Duran. I was like, oh, my God, really? Japan he may have lost like... that first fight. I, I remember that well. He may have lost that first encounter. Yeah, well, the way they played it on the movie is like he was getting the crap beat out of him, and then they show him, like, coming back. <laughs> in like was the... accurate, huh? Okay. Well, but they yeah, show him coming right. back in, like, the seventh round or something, and then they show him winning a decision. I'm like, okay, how is that possible? <laughs> It's really hard for me to, to – I mean, it's, a boxing movie's got to be really good or it's got to be in that kind of Rocky genre where you know it's it's a little more cartoony, you know, uh, especially when they kind of mess with the fights. Like, uh, uh, I don't know, did you uh, did you like The Fighter, the Mickey Ward movie? I, I Never watched that one. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's just – I don't know. They never quite get the, the authenticity right. It's just after, you know, after you've spent enough time uh, watching people spar – and like you know how quiet the rim can be while, while this unnatural thing, these two guys fighting or going at it, and everybody's sitting around watching. Like after that, like movies just kind of don't don't really do it for me. But I, I might want to check that one out though. Yeah, like I think it's okay. 
So, anyways, that's that's about all, all I got for this evening. I'll let, uh, let, let everybody move on. And, uh, again, Happy New Year to guys, and uh, I'm glad you're back. All right. Thank you very much, Nate. 347-215-7598. Gabe, who's next? Uh, uh, 209. You're live on the next round. Hello, guys. How you guys doing this, Trini? Hey, up, Welcome aboard. Not much, man. Just want to say Happy New Year, and I'm just enjoying the show. That's all. Listening to you guys today. Sweet. Yeah. All right, man. Well, then all right, you guys you have a good one. You too. Oh, man. well, that, that was short and sweet. Trini, thank you very much. Gabe, who's next? Uh, I want to save him for after Tom Loeffler. Uh, let's see. Let's go unlisted number. You're live on the next round. Unlisted number. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, evening, Gabe, Steve. Yes, who is this? How's it going? Good, what's up? Yeah, I was just wondering, I seen something on my uh, Twitter feed earlier on about Parker and Joshua. What are your thoughts on that fight, if it gets made? I think it's going to get made. It seems to be a fait accompli at this point for March 31st, I believe, for Cardiff, Wales. And I think Parker's a pretty good heavyweight. I just simply think he's too small and I expect Anthony Joshua to stop him within seven to eight, nine rounds. That's my forecast. Well, I'll probably be at that fight since I'm from Cardiff. I live about 10 minutes away from the stadium, so oh, yeah, I look forward you. to it. Also, I wanted to know what are your thoughts on the Dotikos and Garcia fight? I think it's one of the very best matchups on paper that I believe is a can't-miss fight game. I think it is bombs away. It's a, Man, that's a hard fight to pick. I, I think Gassiev is going to have to be physical with Dortikos and crowd him, not let him find his range, because Dortikos is a sharpshooter uh, with some real spooky power. And both guys have, have real scary knockout power. Uh, but I think Gassiev's uh, money is going to be in that and kind of pushing the older guy around and, and being <clears throat> physical with him. Uh, you yeah, get to see him I, I recently, saw- right, Steve? Yeah, I saw him. I'm just going to say one thing without giving away anything. Whoever backs up the other guy who's able to come downhill consistently and make mm-hmm. the other guy use his back foot, I think has a huge advantage. Let's, let's be honest. Neither guy is out there trying to box and move. They, they want to be the bully. They want to get on top of that pitcher's mound and sling fastballs. So whoever does that has a huge advantage in my view. Yeah, I, I thought like, it was probably the same thing. I thought it was a 50-50 fight, but I seen something on Twitter that kind of made me lean towards Gassiev. I'm not sure if you guys have seen it, but Dotikos looked out on his feet in the amateurs, and I've never really seen <coughs> Gassiev get hurt. So that kind of got me interested. Interesting, in that. huh? Huh, And it was okay. against a smaller Eastern European fighter, so... I'm not sure if you've seen that, but have have you ever seen Gassiev get hit? Or? No, I think that's we're all waiting to find out. We know he can pitch. Can he catch? Yeah, that's the thing with mm. Dortikos. He can be he can be hurt, you know. But you know, he's also a resilient guy who can come back and, and avenge that. But but he, I like his ability to step around a little bit more. I think he's got the better footwork. Uh, but he can be had, and so like this is this is you know Gassiev trial by fire here. You know. Uh, also, also is another interesting thing I only found out the other day because we were talking about it on BDA show. 
Um, did you know that Dortigas went 10 with Miranda? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I don't know what that really means, though. <laughs> you know. No, but isn't that worrying? Um, if you're really that big of a puncher, Miranda's been stopped at 160, 168, and uh, 175. Yeah, you know, but again, you, I could list you fights of great punchers who didn't stop certain guys. It didn't mean that they weren't great punchers. It just sometimes maybe it just wasn't in the cards that night. Anyway, mm. thank you for the call. Gabe, let's try to stick in one more call here before we get to Mr. Loeffler. Uh, okay. Um, three, four, seven. You're live on the next round. Hey, guys. Happy New Year. How's everybody doing? Good. Who is doing this? Doing well. No, it's not. It's Hans. I actually call all the time, but I never say my name. So, yeah, now you got Oh, okay. What's going on? <laughs> What's up, man? Nothing much, nothing much. So, um, just kind of want to talk about a few fights um, that aren't, um, what's the right word, like actually like kind of happening, but they're like pending. So, it kind of seems like they're actually about to happen. Um, the first fight I wanted to talk about was, uh, what's that thing called? Um, Jared Hurd and um, Arizlandi Lara. I heard it's like really close to happening in um, in April. So how do you guys kind of feel about that fight? Well, I'm a big Hurd guy, but if Lara still has his legs game, I think that first half's going to be very tough for Hurd. He's going to have to really ramp up that pressure early. Yeah, uh, if, if I'm you know if I'm Hurd, I'm I'm, I'm watching that uh, Angulo fight and, and looking at that blueprint, how to crowd this guy how to get him to the ropes because Laura has a tendency to square up, um, and, you know, kind of fold up his tent a little bit and let you inside and work on him. Hurd's going to have to do that. He's going to have to sacrifice. I think that's just the nature of his style, uh, you know, because of his abilities. He's not the, the fleetest of foot cat in the world, but uh, he's very tough and, and very strong. So he's got to impose himself. Uh, I think it's a tough fight. It's a cat and mouse type of, uh, but I think it's very winnable for Hurd. Okay, um, another fight that I wanted to kind of talk about was um, I heard that um, Bronner might actually be fighting. I, I heard it was going to be Figaro, Figaro, well, I don't know how to say his name properly, but Omar Figueroa at, at first. Oh, uh, Figueroa. Yeah, um, but, but, but I'm actually hearing that it might be Amir Khan. So yeah, listen, is, I don't know what to say. Um, Gabe, is it just you or me? But is the PBC just throwing all their guys together and just throwing shit up on a wall, seeing what sticks? Yeah, I mean, you can kind of move the pieces around and never really have the most, like, valuable ones face each other, I guess. That's that's the benefit of having a deep stable. Uh, is it entertaining, though? I mean, do, I don't know. Amir Khan versus Broner, I, I'm kind of intrigued by it, I got to say. Uh, but it's, once again, Amir Khan spending all that time out of the ring the guy undercuts himself. Like now he's probably gonna have to cut a bunch of weight to get to wherever it is that Broner wants it to be at, um, and that's gonna be to his disadvantage. Yeah, but Gabe, I just saw a video, and I believe it was recent. It was on Twitter about 20 minutes ago of Adrian <laughs> Broner doing these exquisite 84 punch combinations with Kevin Cunningham. Now I have to tell you, Broner looks like he's in the 170s. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not going to be an easy thing for him to get down to 47 either. So, like, I, I just kind of got to ask because, you know, you guys are like, um, it kind of seems like both of you guys are like in the gym, like, you know, watching like a lot of sparring, things like that. Um, I got a chance to like watch a little bit of sparring myself. 
Um, so, you know, I kind of see, like, what goes on a little bit. So, um, I'm just, like, really confused. Um, like, why do so many guys choose to do those four million combina- combinations and in the fight they do nothing, but then you have other trainers like um, like Sanchez or even like a Freddie Roach to a degree that doesn't do any of those type of things. Like like what like what's the point of all the combinations if nobody's gonna do it? Well, listen, I believe a lot of trainers have been intoxicated by video clips. Uh, I think there's the Mayweather influence, and my biggest my biggest beef with a lot of today's trainers is that they teach more repetition than actual technique and concepts, is that they're great at giving you a cardiovascular workout, but I've always said, if you see a trainer doing these combinations on the mitts, go watch that fighter in a fight. If they're not doing any of that, what are they really teaching? What are they really training? You know? Um, hey, it's weird. You know, my, my gym uh, plays, like, old fights all the time, like different career sets. Today they were playing Ali uh, Frazier 1. Uh, but, you know, you see a lot of, like, Aaron Pryor fights. And, and just the thing that I notice about the older fights is the intensity, even into, like, the 90s with which guys fought. Uh, they threw a lot more punches. I mean, think about, like, a typical De La Hoya fight, how aggressive a star like that was. Guys don't fight like that anymore. And it's weird because you see them do all that pad work. Yet, like you said, you see in the fight, they're, they're, they're kind of dead on their feet. I wonder if it's partly the, the influence of you know, a couple decades of weight cutting and the techniques that have been created where guys are, they don't know how to replenish and they're coming in unable to pull the trigger the way they do in the gym when they're not cutting weight. Uh, so I, I wonder about that. Also, the amount of money that they make, the Heyman guy that fights once a year or twice a year because he makes a lot of cash, they don't want to risk as much as they used to. Yeah, and one other thing. If you don't do a lot of heavy bag, and I've talked to old trainers about this, it is hard to build up strength and stamina in your shoulders. Hmm. And those old fighters, most of what they did was heavy bag along with the sparring. Thank you for the call. We're going to get to Tom Loeffler now. Uh, Gabe, do you see Mr. Loeffler on the queue? I do. Mr. Loeffler, is that you there? It's me, Gabe. Hey, Tom, what's going on? Hey, guys, it's good to be on the show. Always uh, appreciate knowledgeable guys that know about boxing. And uh, anytime I can talk about any (laughs) upcoming shows or fights that we have planned, it's, uh, it's an exciting time for me. Well, Tom, uh, I want to thank you for settling on us anyway, after all those nice things you said. Uh, but, Tom, let's, let's, I, know you're, I know why you are here as we kick in 2018. There's so many things to talk about. Tom, tell us that the Golovkin-Canelo fight, not only is it set, signed, sealed, and delivered, it's going to happen in Dallas at AT&T Stadium, right, Tom? <laughs> right? Well, I think I can tell you both of those things, Steve. <laughs> Um, although I am, uh, I, 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 I do think we're getting closer. Um, I'm in uh, regular contact with uh, Eric Gomez. Um, just uh, seems like uh, it's coming down to a final a couple of points, but uh, hopefully we can get it finalized, and uh, hopefully we can, uh, you know, go to a big venue. But um, it, uh, you know, the, uh, we need to finalize the fight first, and then. Uh, 
it seems like the Canelo site definitely wants to uh, lead the direction as to where the fight is, is going to happen. But uh, once, once the fight's done, uh, and if the fight is done, then, then uh, we'll, we'll certainly uh, work on trying to, to get the best location. Uh, Tom, as it relates to the timing of this fight, I still think there's plenty of time, given the fact we're essentially, what, five months away from when the fight would take place. Is, is there some sort of deadline that you have in mind to, hey, either we're going to get this signed or we're going to move on? Mm, it's, uh, you know, there's never been a hard deadline. Um, you know, part of the holdup was uh, Canelo was out of town for an extended period of time, uh, uh, after the fight, uh, I think Eric and I could have probably uh, finalized the fight, you know, within about two weeks after the last fight. But uh, naturally, he had to wait for um, Canelo uh, to to give his feedback. And, and now Gennady is in Kazakhstan. So, you know, it's a little bit of a, a back and forth uh, on logistics, you know, for guys that, uh, you know, have their teams internationally and you know, we're not all sitting at one table here in uh, in L.A. But um, uh, put it this way, I haven't seen one uh, issue that seems like the fight uh, isn't going to happen. So if that were the case, I would be a lot more uh, concerned. Although, um, like I said, it's clearly not uh, finalized yet, but uh, we're still very uh, uh, optimistic that uh, both sides can, uh, can agree on the terms to make this happen. Gabe? Um, I want to talk about uh, 360 promotions um, and, and this you just announced this news and, and uh, what that means for your relationship with K2 and, and just could you clarify like you know what exactly is it what are your plans there? K uh, uh, 360 is uh, it's going to be my own uh, promotional company. It's an offshoot uh, uh, to give me some more flexibility to uh, to actually sign fighters. Um, you know, we've had a lot of fighters approach me that have seen the, the success we've had with the Klitschko's, with Triple G, with uh, Chocolatito, you know, guys that don't, don't really fit into your uh, mainstream of, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, boxing fan. And we've, we've done very well uh, with them, and, and um, a lot of people have noticed that. And, you know, the first show was going to be actually the Superfly 2 show. Uh, with Rungvisai uh, versus Estrada, that's that's about as good of a matchup as I can see in boxing. Uh, two of the best guys in their division um, fighting each other, and um, you know they had uh, big victories uh, in the last uh, Superfly show. Um, so we're going to the form. It'll be on HBO. It's actually a triple header on HBO. Quadras versus Arroyo is the co-feature on that show. Um, we announced Brian Valoria is going to fight for his fifth world title. It's a vacant WBA flyweight title, so that's that fight is actually, even though it's HBO caliber, it's actually going to be the fight right before the HBO triple header. So really excited about that. And then also, again, with the 360 uh, company, it'll give me some flexibility to do some smaller shows. Um, we're going to do a, a smaller uh, club series here in L.A. starting in, in March. So as soon as we have the details there, I'll uh, make sure that uh, we get those out. And uh, we're excited about that because uh, there seems to be so many uh, fighters in the L.A. area or Southern California area that are looking for fights. And, you know, we're looking to fill fill a void for that and also at the same time develop uh, talent so that, you know, we can get up to the premium cable uh, level. And that gives me uh, a lot more flexibility uh, with the club series. 
Tom, since your announcement of 360, how many phone calls do you get, uh, let's say on a daily basis, um, from managers or advisors saying, hey, Tom, I got a kid here, he's the next Golovkin. Are, are you yeah. fielding a lot of inquiries? Seems to be the next Triple G. <laughs> Every single guy you get, right? <laughs> the funny thing is, is when I when I was pitching uh, Triple G to both HBO and Showtime, uh, you know, here's an undefeated middleweight champion from Kazakhstan who will fight anybody and doesn't want a lot of money. It's like honestly uh, blank stares, really, from from uh, from both sides. And um, you know, it took a lot of persistence. Uh, HBO, Peter Nelson, I give him a lot of credit. He he actually wound up giving us. Uh, uh, given us a slot on the show, which uh, we only inherited because uh, Danny Giel pulled out of the fight with uh, Dmitry Pirog to take the Felix Sturm fight. So um, it was almost by default that, uh, you know, he kind of backed into that slot. But ever since he knocked out Proxa, he had uh, he went on a run of, uh, what was it, 23 knockouts in a row and became one of the fan favorites here in America. You know, the guy from Kazakhstan who, whose English uh, really wasn't that that good at the time and, and, uh, you know, wasn't that well known here. Uh, that was really, uh, I would say him and Canelo are the two most marketable fighters here in the, in the U S and that's a, that's a huge accomplishment. You know, seeing him uh, being honored in Mexico and, and the way the Mexican fans, particularly LA fans have, have really embraced him. Can you talk a little bit about your, your marketing strategy with, with triple G now that you have, you know, benefit of hindsight, um, the way he's, you know, attached himself to different sports teams, you know, throwing out the pitch with the, the Dodgers. Um, is that something that he wanted to do? Like he likes those sports or do you think those are just smart moves and, and uh, yeah, just speak to that if you could. You know, Gabe, it, a lot of it is, uh, not even a lot of it. it it's all organic. Uh, you know, I'll come up with some ideas, uh, promotional and marketing ideas, but uh, you know, if Gennady didn't, actually uh, agree to them or believe in them, then, uh, you know, he wouldn't do them. A lot of fighters lock themselves up in a training camp and they don't promote their fights. And actually <laughs> we've seen some recent examples of fighters actually working against the promotion. And it just really doesn't make any sense at all. Gennady has always been receptive um, when he knew he had to, you know, he was wor- really working at the odds to, to become, uh, become popular here in America. I mean, there's a, a, a Kazakh population in New York, but, Certainly nothing to sell out Madison Square Garden, which he did. Um, he's fought at the Garden now six times and uh, always had a great response. He sold out StubHub. He broke the record uh, uh, of the StubHub Center for, for attendance. He he sold out the form twice. So, um, you know, and then naturally sold out uh, T-Mobile uh, with the Canelo fight. It's just been a, it's been a great ride, but it's, um, you know, the, the Mexican-style moniker, that was really – from an interview from Max Kellerman um, after the knockout over Daniel Giel. And uh, Max told him how he would describe this or asked him how he'd describe his style. And Gennady says, you know, thanks to my coach, I fight the Mexican style. And, uh, you know, we, we had no idea who the next opponent was going to be. It turned out to be Rubio at the StubHub Center. And, and uh, you know, the majority of the fans in attendance were Hispanic and they were cheering for, for Triple G. And uh, I've never... Really, no, nothing has really surprised me with Gennady's career because I had, you know, I believed Abel, I believed his managers, and I believed that in the potential every time I saw Gennady spar. But it did surprise me when I saw, you know, the majority of the Mexican fans standing on their chairs chanting Triple G when he was walking around 
the thumb up center on the floor. It was uh, you know, as acknowledgement to the fans. He, he did a full circle uh, on the floor of the thumb up center, and uh, that was a pretty uh, incredible sight uh, to see. Tom, was there a particular moment um, specifically where you said, I'm going to branch out on my own? Because for so many years, you've been known through your associations with K2 and the Klitschko's, obviously with Triple G Promotions and Gennady Golovkin. But when did you say, okay, I'm going to make this venture into essentially going out on my own? Well, just to be clear, Triple G Promotions is uh, going to promote all of the uh, uh, Gennady's fights. Um, he wanted to have his own promotional uh, label and uh, company, so uh, th- it'll definitely be Triple G Promotions for for Gennady's fights. Uh, K2 uh, will do all of uh, Alexander Usyk's uh, fights. Uh, Alexander Krasiuk from K2 Ukraine. He's done a masterful job of uh, you know getting uh, Usyk into uh, the world title contention and winning a world title. Uh, in his 10th fight to, be, to beat uh, Evander Holyfield's cruiserweight record. And, um, you know, he's uh, between Usyk and uh, Gossi if they're the favorites to win this uh, cruiserweight tournament. So uh, K2 will still work with uh, Usyk and uh, with uh, Cilia Brekos, uh, the best female boxer uh, on the planet and the only undisputed boxer in the sport of boxing. And, and I told Vladimir, you know, who owns uh, K2, Vladimir Klitschko. And I said, you know, anytime, uh, you know, he wants to do an event for K2, I'm always, you know, at his service because, uh, you know, the opportunity I had to, um, that I had to promote the most heavyweight championships uh, of this uh, of this century, you know, since the year 2000 between Vladimir's fights and Vitaly's fights, we, uh, K2 promoted the most uh, heavyweight championship fights in some of the biggest arenas in the world. When you saw you know, the reaction of uh, the fans, 90,000 people at Wembley Stadium this year in uh, a loss for Vladimir, but probably the fight that he'll get the most credit for and the most respect for in his uh, in his career to uh, when Vitaly fought Adamek in uh, a sold-out stadium in uh, in Poland. And, um, you know, all the, the soccer stadiums uh, holding 40, 50, 60,000 people in Germany that uh, both brothers fought at from uh, from Hamburg, the David Hay fight, to Frankfurt a couple times, uh, to Berlin, when he when Vitaly made his comeback after being out for four years, when he went to fight uh, Sam Peter, the existing champion. Um, you know, a lot of fighters say they need tune-up fights after one year out, and Vitaly, from medical injuries, it was out of the ring for for four years. He comes back and beats the existing uh, world champion, and you didn't, never heard a complaint from him uh, about ring rust. So, you know, there's big statements. There's a huge career for both Vitaly and Vladimir. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was great being able to uh, be involved in, uh, in their fights. And, and, uh, you know, now is just the time, like I said, it gives me, I never really had the opportunity to sign young guys and have the activity because I never like to sign guys without having a plan for them. But this club series will allow me to uh, sign guys, develop them, and I shouldn't say guys because uh, we're definitely a big believer in uh, female boxing as well. Sinise Estrada is going to be on the Super Superfly show. And, um, you know, and again, the work I've been helping uh, Cecilia Brekos with her, with her career is, uh, you know, I have a, a great appreciation for, it seems like a re- renaissance for uh, female boxing now with what Clarissa Shields doing, what Katie Taylor is doing, 
on so many other fighters. It just seems like the popularity now is uh, is back with uh, um, female boxing. So we're excited about that as well. Seems like Rousey opened the door for everybody, uh, you know, for for networks to get behind a, a female fighter. Wouldn't you agree? I, I agree with that, and and uh, I'm sure. <laughs> You hear, uh, you know, I have the next Ronda Rousey, just like people say I have the next Triple G. You know, um, the, um, um, Cecilia just won the uh, Boxing Writers. Uh, it's the first year they've had the uh, the uh, uh, Female uh, Fighter of the Year uh, award, and uh, uh, she's uh, she won that, and and uh, she's extremely proud. Um, to have that, uh, to be that recipient. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, there were uh, certainly uh, female boxers, um, Lucia Riker and, and uh, so many other uh, female boxers, uh, you know, that kind of opened the door. Uh, but uh, Ronda Rousey uh, really took female, I should say, combat sports um, to a whole different level. I mean, she was starring in movies and, you know, we went to go see her train a couple times with uh, with uh, Triple G to support her in her in her endeavors, and uh, you know, she she kind of went over the top. She at one point she was uh, clearly the biggest uh, UFC star, men or women, when she was at her peak. So, you know, she definitely um, you know, raised raised uh, or opened the eyes of how marketable uh, female uh, combat sports uh, could be. Uh, Tom, speaking of the UFC. Your thoughts on Dana White getting into boxing? What what type of impact do you think that'll have on the business? Look, I think uh, competition is good for boxing. I think uh, you know, if someone as high profile of a figure as Dana gets into the sport of boxing, you know, he'll make headlines, and I'm sure he'll put on uh, some good uh, some good shows. So I, I, I think um, the more people or the more uh, spotlight that's uh, shown on the sport of boxing, uh, the, the better it is overall for the sport. If, uh, if Dana brings some television dates to boxing that weren't available before, I think that's a big, that's a big addition. And, you know, the, the deal that top rank has now with ESPN is so strong. Showtime's putting on some great fights. HBO, you know, has, has always, uh, uh, you know, put on great matchups. You know, if we can do this, uh, Canelo triple G rematch, on HBO pay-per-view, if we can do the uh, Superfly 2 show now on HBO. I mean, it's, um, you know, it really, I think uh, as promoters and managers and trainers and, and really the responsibility of the fighters, I think uh, everyone is, is uh, needs to work together to continue the momentum, really the banner year that we've had in 2017. I've been involved in boxing just a little over 25 years now, and I, I can't really remember a year where we had, uh, you know, such a great uh, year in boxing as as we did last year. And I think we need to really build on that momentum to uh, keep boxing uh, in the forefront. Because um, you know, some some people look at it short-sighted, and it might suit their personal needs better, but uh, for the sport in general, you know, making the fights the fans want to see is just better off uh, for the sport, whether your guy wins or loses that particular fight. I think the sport benefits, and, and that's what we saw. You know, it was a very risky fight, Anthony Joshua getting in the ring with Vladimir Klitschko, but when you can have a fight in Europe, uh, 90,000 people in Wembley Stadium that's televised 
you know, both on Showtime and HBO on the same day. That's a, that's a huge, that's a huge event. And uh, it became a worldwide event, just like uh, Canelo and Triple G did. It was an international sporting event. It was really more like a soccer match where you saw the flags, you saw the Mexican flags, you saw the Canelo, the uh, Kazakhstan flags, you saw the Triple G hats uh, and t-shirts in the, in the arena. And it really was an international uh, event. And, um, that was the first Peter Nelson on HBO actually sent me a note. It's the first uh, pay-per-view event that broke a million buys uh, since Marquez Pacquiao uh, did with uh, two non-American uh, fighters in the main event. So, you know, that, that was an event that we were really proud of. We weren't so proud about the, the scoring, <laughs> but that's the instance where this, uh, this rematch is uh, hopefully uh, – we can get uh, scores that are uh, a little bit more reflective of what actually happened uh, in the ring. And, uh, you know, if Canelo comes out and and uh, can, can make uh, more of a stand uh, than he did the first fight, I think, uh, you know, he would deserve uh, the victory and, and uh, you know, beat the guy that's uh, we've worked so hard to unify, you know, his titles. And, and if, if Gennady can come and... Uh, and be more uh, definitive in, in the next fight, and you know, I don't think uh, how you can argue that. But uh, you know, those are the type of fights that the sport needs, um, and, and that's what we hope, we hope to uh, continue for uh, 2018. Tom, we spoke about this earlier, me and Gabe. But when a guy says, "I'm not going to talk to Top Rank, I'm not going to talk to Golden Boy, or I don't ever want to work with Showtime," <laughs> Tom, isn't this sport divided enough <laughs> as it is? I, uh, you know, that's, uh, it's funny you say that because, uh, you know, part of the logo and the moniker of 360, it's, uh, represents the globe and, uh, you know, doing international events all over the world and, and working with, uh, you know, really everyone that's a reliable partner. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really subscribe to the theory of, uh, excluding people. Like I, I've been quoted many times, you know, if I didn't work with a few promoters, you know, I would have had a much harder time fighting, finding opponents for triple G then uh, we did because there was a run where nobody wanted to get in the ring with uh, with uh, Triple G and uh, you know every time I, I, I gave an update um, to HBO we always said you know the people always said they'll fight him but just not next like they wanted one fight two fights you know three fights and they might consider fighting him and it just uh, you know I really think um, had I not worked with everyone um, yeah, we would have had a much difficult much more difficult time. Uh, finding opponents. In fact, I even had to go to, we had to go to the UK to fight uh, Kel Brook when, uh, when it looked like, uh, you know, uh, Billy Joe Saunders uh, didn't accept the fight. Uh, Eubank Jr. didn't accept the fight at the time. And uh, who knows, you know, now it might, in hindsight, it might've been smart of them because, uh, you know, they might make more money fighting him in the future. But, uh, you know, we got to give uh, Kel Brook a lot of credit for, um, for stepping up uh, to the plate. And, and that was, uh, you know, one of those things where he went to the O2, he sold out the O2 arena. I think it was 11 minutes. Uh, they sold out the first time he's ever fought in, in the UK. And, um, you know, but those are the type of examples of, you know, my philosophy of working with people. I mean, certainly I'm sure Dana will allow, will align himself with uh, people that he wants to do business with. But, um, you know, in order to put on the best fights, you really need to have access to the, to the, the different type of, uh, boxers in order to, to make the best matchups. That's one thing that uh, the UFC enjoys is, 
you know, really being able to uh, match the best uh, MMA fighters uh, against each other and uh, kind of dictate, you know, who's fighting different people to, to make the best events. And, and I think if it's splintered in boxing, um, they'll have less access to, to making the best fights available. You know, looking at that, the world uh, or the world of boxing globally that way, um, do you think there'll ever be a place where we get more organized as a sport than we are with the sanctioning bodies? You know, there's four of them, and then you've got the networks that kind of like promoters as well. Um, do you think we'll ever get to a place where everybody's doing the same uniform drug testing and we're all following the same rules and helping each other promote similar to the way the NFL owners do or NBA owners? I sure hope they do. Uh, you, you hit on a, uh, on a key point, Gabe, with drug testing, but uh, even taking a step backwards, you know, even medical testing, just to get uh, licensed, um, you know, even in the U.S. here, you have different uh, rules for being licensed in New York than you do in California, than you do in Nevada, than you do in Florida. I mean, it really, at some that would be like an NFL player having to, to take different tests every time they played a game in a different state. It really, you know, doesn't make any sense. Or, you know, their concussion protocols, you know, might be different in one state than another state. And, um, and that doesn't make sense. So I agree with right. you um, that uh, it would be great to see more uniform medical testing. If you're licensed, you know, in California, you should be able to fight in New York or, or Nevada or, you know, wherever the most stringent, uh, you know, requirements are. Um, I'm a big believer in, in safety for boxers and, and uh, you know, the, the more medically cleared they can be because it's inherently a very dangerous sport um, just to make sure they're medically fit to compete. And then also naturally um, having a, a uniform system of drug testing in place. Um, you know, there's always been rumors that uh, fighters only fight in a particular state or a particular city because, you know, they know, you know, the rules or the commissions or whatever the case is and uh, feel that they, you know, can get the nod at some particular point um, if there's a question. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't think that should be the case. I think everything should be uniform because if you're going to be, you know, competing in the sport of boxing, they do have now the uniform uh, rules, but it's still, uh, you know, again, the drug testing isn't uniform. Um, you know, I think VADA has done a very good job of uh, catching people that, uh, that uh, you know, try to bend the rules. And we've seen a number of boxers uh, disqualified. But, uh, you know, there's certainly a cost involved with that. And that's why I can see some of the lower-profile fights or lower-budget fights, I should say, you know, might not have the budget uh, for both fighters to go through a full, uh, yeah. you know, VADA uh, testing or protocol. So... Um, I, I'm not the one that, that's going to say I have the answers to everything, but I, I do agree with the premise that uh, it would be nice to have a more uniform uh, international uh, sport uh, or world sport because that's the designation of uh, you know being a world champion. It means you know you're you're the best in the world, so you should uh, you know be held to certain uh, standards. Tom, moving forward, Superfly Two that's taking place February 24th. Two of your matchups are set. Nano annoyed when he decided to move up to 118. Obviously, it's kind of a blow to that card. Were you surprised he decided to move up and wait? Well, boy, uh, let's see. Um, 
I mean, he was so dominant at 115 um, that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if he was having uh, pro- troubles uh, making the weight. That's my guess, uh, is that he wanted to move up. Uh, he, they did uh, say, you know, through Mr. Honda and Mr. Ohashi from uh, Japan, they said that, uh, you know, if there was a unification fight for him at, at one. 15, then he would stay there. Uh, we tried to do the unification fight with Jafai, uh, who's with Eddie Hearn, um, and uh, and Inouye. But uh, when we mentioned Inouye, they they seemed the Jafai side didn't seem to have too much uh, interest in a unification fight. Then we tried to do just Jafai in a title defense, and you know we couldn't, even though he was offered the same amount that Inouye would have gotten for a title defense, so we couldn't come to terms. Uh, with Yafai. So I think it's uh, unfortunate. I think uh, both of them would have been a tremendous addition to the the card, but you can only, you know, put fights together with the fighters that, uh, you know, are available. And um, then it, it turned out uh, with Inouye um, that it, it wouldn't have worked the February time frame. You know, if it wasn't the unification fight, it wouldn't have worked for him uh, anyway. So we're still, still working on making that third uh, HBO fight. And, uh, um, I've gotten a lot of people, a lot of interest, uh, you know, the, the Superfly name and uh, the moniker has really taken on a life of its own. Uh, it's created a brand where you know, people went to the fight at the StubHub Center last year. That was probably one of the best fights I've ever, or one of the best shows I've ever put together. And uh, uh, everyone that went to there, I'm sure, is going to come to the forum now with a bigger uh, capacity. And when you have the winners fighting each other, when you have a, a great matchup like Estrada versus uh, Rungvisai. I mean, that's uh, that's what people are looking forward to. And uh, Brian Valoria is a local hero. And like I said, if he can win his fifth world title, that's uh, you know he's approaching Hall of Fame status when he you know has been that successful. And I, I think he's the, he's the last one from the year 2000 Olympic class who's still active. So that says a lot for him. And uh, you know, Carlos, Car- Carlos Quadras is is training with Abel Sanchez now in, in Big Bear. So I think we should see a rejuvenated. Uh, Quadras, even though you know he he lost a, ver- a very close decision to uh, Chocotito and a very close decision to uh, Estrada, so there's uh, you know he's still you know at the top of his game and and uh, Arroyo wants to get back on HBO and prove that uh, that uh, you know he had he lost a decision to uh, Chocotito, so I think it's some great matchups and as soon as we can announce that third fight on HBO, we'll see uh, you know just uh, a lot of interest uh, in the show. Tom, the the showcase fight of the original Superfly concept is Roman Gonzalez, who had a very rough last year facing a very tough tie fighter. What's going to happen with him in 2018? With Roman, I mean, the door is always open for him. Uh, he really blazed the trail. Uh, I like to say just like Triple G did for you know the fighters from the – uh, former Soviet Union, uh, you know, when it wasn't in fashion to fight, to sign someone, you know, from, you know, that was originally Russian speaking or, you know, whether they were from Russia or Ukraine or Kazakhstan or uh, Dagestan, where, wherever, uh, you know, now it's always, uh, you know, uh, with the success of Triple G, it's opened up a lot of doors. And I think uh, with the success of Chocotito, um, he really opened up a lot of doors um, for mainstream, uh, for the mainstream media and the boxing uh, fans uh, to to shine a spotlight on the smaller divisions that uh, really didn't get the recognition they were deserving. I mean, uh, Roman had uh, so many great victories 
but really was only uh, recognized as you know one of the top pound for pound fighters in the world once he, his talents were exposed on a platform on HBO. It was the same thing with Triple G. You know, he had a great amateur yeah. career, had a great run in the pros, but until he had the spotlight on HBO, you know, people really didn't know about him. So, um, to answer your question, uh, you know, waiting to hear from uh, Mr. Honda of Taken Promotions, his promoter. Uh, uh, what he'd like to do, I mean, one of my ideas is, uh, you know, if we can get the, the fight done with Triple G and Canelo, the rematch, uh, I think it'd be perfect for, for Oman to be on, on that show. But uh, if there's a different plan uh, that Mr. Honda has, then uh, we'd certainly be uh, open uh, to that. So uh, I think uh, Chocotito really uh, blazed the way for this uh, Superfly series, uh, having the success that he had in the ring and the interest and in the, the ratings, uh you know, he was the second most uh, successful boxer as far as the gate at uh, at the StubHub Center when, uh, when Chaco Tito had the rematch with uh, Rungusai. Uh, you know, he he, de- he definitely turned into a fan favorite and uh, uh, could sell his own tickets. So he he, uh, he did a lot uh, a lot for the sport, and um, I know a lot of people would like to see him back in the ring, uh, and and uh, we would look forward to uh, uh, to that as well. Gabe. Um, just finally, Tom, um, who's the next Triple G? Uh, who's the guy that we haven't heard about that, that you're looking at and thinking eh, this might be this might be something? You know, uh, Triple G comes around maybe once every 20 years, maybe even longer than that. Um, uh, just uh, someone that's uh, as likable outside the ring and uh, as devastating inside the ring. Um, you know, Tyson was one of my favorite boxers uh, when I was you know, following the sport, and, uh, you know, Mike was devastating inside the ring. I think uh, Triple G has a little more of that complete package where he's, uh, you know, able to control himself a little bit better outside the ring, and, and um, you know, we've broken a lot of ground with new sponsors uh, for him. And uh, new fans that have come to uh, to watch his fights that have never seen a boxing match. So I don't really have that next uh, Triple G. And sometimes uh, you never you never find that guy. I mean, I was lucky enough uh, again the the legendary careers with uh, both Latimer and Vitaly Klitschko, and then with Triple G and and Chocotito, and you know working with Shane Mosley in the past, and Kevin Kelly and Noel Bacar, and even James Tony for for I think it was three or four fights. So. Um, you know, it's been, it's been, I've been lucky, uh, in terms of the talent, uh, I've been working with, but, um, to find another triple G, uh, we don't have that one uh, in the sites yet, but, uh, uh, certainly, uh, you know, he, he's inspired a lot of people, uh, especially in Kazakhstan, there's been a resurgence, uh, in, uh, you know, certainly now in the professional ranks where people know they can actually, uh, you know, be successful as a, you know, when they turn pro uh, before it was really uh, more of a focus on amateur athletic and the uh, mm-hmm. same thing with, uh, with Sora Rungasai. Um, Sister Kett has uh, created a resurgence in uh, Thai boxing, um, you know, being, a, becoming a world champion and getting the exposure now on international television. Uh, it's really, um, uh, created a resurgence in, in, in Thailand. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, uh, you know, the, the next uh, star. I mean, you, you see what Lomachenko is uh, accomplishing, you know, in the ring. And, uh, you know, I just, um, Anthony Joshua is uh, making great, 
great fight selling out stadium. So I uh, really think that, uh, you know, we're, we're in a good time for boxing right now and, and we need these stars to uh, carry the sport because a lot of times, um, you know, when, when the stars fight, that's when the majority of the fans uh, tune in, uh, except for the hardcore fans that watch, you know, pretty much every fight. And, uh, we need the, the stars to carry the sport so that it continues with the popularity, with the TV ratings, with the, with the ticket sales. And, um, you know, that's what, uh, you know, always looking for, for the next, uh, triple G. Tom, speaking of Kazakhstan, I've always said that Bob Arum and Freddie Roach are the two most popular white men in the Philippines since general (laughs) Douglas MacArthur. Are you treated the same way in Kazakhstan when you go back there with Gennady? I would say uh, myself and Abel Sanchez have become very popular in Kazakhstan <laughs> for okay. the work we've done, the work we've done with uh, with Triple G. Um, you know, when when I get on the plane, uh, normally you have to change in uh, in Germany. So when I'm getting them on the plane to, to Kazakhstan, and people are asking me to for my autograph or to take a photo with me, then uh, you know, not even landing in the country yet, that's a pretty it's a pretty uh, big uh, uh, statement, and uh, you know, it's something that we're proud of. And uh, Gennady's certainly proud of, uh, you know, his heritage being from Kazakhstan, representing Kazakhstan in the Olympics. He always carries the Kazakh flag flag into into the ring with him. Um, even though he's got fans now all over the world, he's very popular in the UK, very popular in Mexico, obviously here in the States. Uh, in France, uh, Jordan invited him over specifically to open their flagship store in Paris. Uh, in France, uh, he's fought in Monte, in Monte Carlo three times. So, um, you know, even though he's become, you know, that true definition of a world champion, uh, he's always respected the fact that he's from Kazakhstan. He's proud uh, to put Kazakhstan uh, on the map in terms of uh, professional world boxing he's actually become the most successful if you can imagine it the most successful professional athlete from that country and that's that's a huge statement it's a huge responsibility and uh but he carries it uh, proudly and and uh carries it well and i think he's a great representative not only for the country of kazakhstan but for the sport of boxing uh in general when he walked into azteca stadium and uh we walked out of the tunnel and the first fan saw you know Gennady was uh uh, wearing the Mexican national team jersey and, and uh, his, carrying his WBC belt, and they start chanting Triple G. I mean, that's a pretty big – that's one of those uh, chilling uh, moments where you start getting uh, goosebumps uh, when you see the, the, the Mexican fans uh, live at Azteca Stadium chanting his name. That's That means um, we've done something right and uh, just, uh, you know, looking forward to, to continue to make uh, great fights for him. Tom, finally, this is a tweet from the president who wanted us to ask you. Also, can Tom Loeffler tell us on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad does Triple G want to smash B.J. Saunders for all his talking? <laughs> that's that's definitely up on the list. <laughs> that's that's uh, up there on the list. I'd say uh, that would score a 10 on the Triple G Richter Ooh, scale. Um, a Bo Derek. Uh, Interesting. He's wanted uh yeah, he's wanted to uh you know unify that last uh belt that uh, he wasn't able to uh, uh to get and uh you know BJ is a colorful guy. He had a a, a tremendous performance against uh, Lemieux. I think uh you know it's a little bit of a different statement uh, when you look at some of those photos with Gennady uh, hitting Lemieux 
you know, with a jab or a left hook, and the blood is like spraying from his nose as opposed to uh, Saunders making a miss the way he did. But, uh, you know, that's certainly a great matchup. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, if, Can- if if we can make this rematch with Canelo, if, if Gennady comes out victorious, I think uh, B.J. Saunders would be next on his uh, hit list uh, for sure. Can you make that fight, though, Tom? Because I think you've said it, that we, in the past there were efforts. You flat out feel from your end, BJ has kind of overpriced himself. Well, what changes two years later? Well, if, if Gennady can, can uh, uh, I shouldn't say get the victory over Canelo, because I clearly thought, just like Harold Letterman of HBO, thought that uh, he won eight out of the, out of the 12 rounds. Um, but if he can actually get the decision in the next fight or or a knockout, then I think it puts him on a on a, on a whole different level. And and uh, Bichet has clearly been asking for more than what was in the budget uh, to try to do a unification fight. But uh, if Gennady can can uh, be victorious in the rematch with Canelo, I think uh, that could open the door for uh, making that last uh, unification fight for him. All right, well, Tom, listen, uh, we'll be keeping in touch with you. Good luck with 360 Promotions. And since you are doing a club show, Tom, be prepared to lose money. <laughs> that's the old <laughs> joke in boxing. <laughs> well, that's the investment in the, uh, in the fighters, it seems. But, uh, no, we're looking forward to it. It's a, it's a new venture for us. And, uh, like I said, always great to be, uh, to be on the show uh, with you guys. Respect your opinions and, uh, and looking forward to uh, – to the fights as they're as they're coming up right now. All right, Tom, listen, appreciate it. We'll talk soon, okay? All right. Thank you. Thanks, and that man. was Tom Loeffler. I guess you can call him the diplomat of boxing because if you look at it the last two, three years, um, I think he's made more deals with more various promoters than any other entity, I think maybe outside of Eddie Hearn. Can you, can you think of one? Gabe? No, no, I, I think that's accurate. And you see Dana White? That's how you do it. That's how you answer the question <laughs> about all the other promoters. Like, oh, these guys are great. Oh, yeah, and, and, was, you know, uh, he, he is. That's great. The diplomat. I love that. And by the way, that's that old joke in boxing. Um, I think Kathy Dubel once said it to me. He goes, Steve, you know how you make $10 million in boxing? And I said, oh, I go, how? She goes, start off with $100 million. I mean, it is not easy. I mean, and Tom... <laughs> Tom's word about being an investment is correct because he can find the greatest prospect in the world. And, and most prospects, no matter how heavily hyped they are, whether they're a two-time gold medalist or the greatest-looking kid you've ever seen, they're not ticket sellers early. There's no revenue coming in from that particular uh, venture. So sometimes it takes 25, 30 fights to even break even on a boxer. And I give Tom a lot of credit. And listen, it's easy to take over careers at 30 and 0, like a lot of wives who suddenly become the smartest manager in the game because their husbands are great. Start off from zero and zero and put your own capital in. That's what I respect. So good luck to Tom Loeffler. Gabe, any phone calls on the line? We have 18 more minutes remaining here. Uh, yeah, let's uh, 585 live on the next round. <laughs> hey, guys, Jake from Oxford. Jake, what's, what's up, going man? on? What's up? Um, just wanted to comment on uh, you know Dana White and uh, him coming into to boxing. You know he he comes into boxing talking like a eighty five year old Bob Arum or I don't even is Bob in his nineties. I, I have no idea. But anyway. no, he's eighty six. Eighty six years young, Jake. <laughs> he's very feisty. Eighty six. 
and and he and he comes in, starts talking shit about everyone, like you know, like Aram would do, right? Like, you know, you suck, you you're fucking shit, you 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 all don't know what the fuck you're doing, and this guy doesn't doesn't have a stable, he doesn't have like a network deal or anything, um, and 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 I and I'm wondering like who's he going to work with in the future? I mean, this is just pure speculation on my part, but. I was listening to Randy Gordon, uh, the Commish. He has a show on. Oh, uh, good friend of mine. I've been on, on that Bob. show. Yeah, uh, I was listening to his show, and and he, you know, I, I know the PBC had a deal with him, and I don't I don't know who else, but Sirius, and he was announcing the the shows on on Sirius Radio, the PBC shows, and he was saying, uh, you know, this is most likely going to be the last year of the PBC. Um, you know, he was talking about how horrible the job they did, basically. And uh, he said, <laughs> you know, if you lose $500 million in, like, that quick of a time, he said, he goes, I, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near Al Heyman. He goes, besides maybe a couple of his fighters, you don't lose that much money and get away with it. That's all I'm saying. And then, like, but, Jake, so, isn't, isn't about, the rumor that he's going to bail out Al Heyman and the PBC that, and or Mayweather promotions? Yeah, that's that's what I was possibly thinking, but I don't, I don't know. Listen, if Dana White puts on great events, makes great fights, and is an agent for unifying the sport, not dividing it further, I'm all in on Dana White. But the early rhetoric, guys, is not promising. Yeah, I just I don't understand why you come in and it's like he's a. Like he's a rapper or something, trying to trying to get some cred by talking shit about everything. <laughs> Without having Death done row, Dana White. Death row, Dana White. That's hilarious. Dana Blank at this point. Uh, yeah, I don't really get the story. Uh, we'll see. You know, now he's up in his mouth. Let's see if he can back it up. And doing it with oh, like Jake McGregor, I mean, you know, it's not like you built Mayweather up, dude. You know, and you kind of got had. You got guy knocked out. Anyway, you want to put it, your guy got knocked out. So don't talk to me about what a genius you are. Jake, anything else? How much he cares about the fighters. And really, he's just thinking about himself. And like I said, he's Trumpian. Right, Jake? Yeah, he is, he is quite Trumpian. But uh, <laughs> what um, have you. Uh, have you heard about any potential uh, Lomachenko opponent speech? Uh, no, I have not. I don't even know if they've begun to discuss that. I'll say it again. I think it's Slim Pickens. Uh, I really do. I, I don't know who's really out there. I'll, I'll give Bob Aram a call probably later this week. But uh, I know that they're going to take the Christmas and the New Year holiday off and then begin to formulate a plan. But uh, quite frankly, I have not heard of anything. Haven't really investigated it all that much either. Jake, we got to get running. Thank you for the call, Gabe. Who's next? Um, let's go. Is he still on? Yes, he is. To Jimmy's corner. Jimmy, happy hey. New Year. Happy Jimmy, New Year, the stage guys. is yours. Pontificate about prize fighting, please. <laughs> How you guys doing? Doing well, man. Doing How you guys well. Doing? Happy New Year. That's good. That's good. Happy New Year. All right. Well, listen. Straight up, Dana White, Gabe, you couldn't be more right about, you know, disliking. I'm telling you, firsthand experience. This dude is a shitbag from the word jump. Tom's being, listen, Tom, hey, Tom can be all fucking, he's, you know what I mean? Listen, I'm being straight up. I'm going to tell you some shit, right? I'm going to tell you some shit. And, and it's, I can Do some shit talking, Jimmy. Go. 
All right, all right. Well, here it is, straight up. To sell, listen, in the underworld, when you're fucking doing illegal shit, right, you can't go to the police. So when you're selling drugs, I don't care if it's cocaine or steroids, if you're not selling legit shit, you can get killed. And never mind steroids, when you sell bogus, intentionally taking fucking bottles of steroids, say you take a 50cc bottle of Decadurabol and, and then mix 200 cc's of fucking Wesson oil and then sell it to people knowing they're injecting it into their body. And it's not done in a clean room. You know what I mean? So there's lint, this shit. Needless to say, a dude ended up with a hematoma and needed to get surgery. Now, let me address the fucking his big claim that Whitey Balder chased him out of Boston. That is a crock of shit. At the time that went down when he took off, it was first off, when he took off, Whitey was already on the lamb. But Whitey was making six figures a week, Kevin said at the time. We, could, we didn't have enough manpower to shake down all the illegal shit in Boston. We weren't going to go after some rinky-dink fucking guy doing a show out of the Elks Club. It was just what happened, what I was told. Now, I don't know this firsthand, but I was told some Hells Angels up in Saugus got a hold of some of that fake shit. And they oh, wanted his ass. Yeah, exactly. And he wasn't going to... So, and, and Gabe, you are right. He was a fucking massive juice head because that was how he sold the shit. Oh, I'm taking this, I'm taking that. But he would sell people junk. Because, you know what I mean? Mm. All right, now let So that's just, that's 100%. He did that. There's no denying it. So I, anybody plays that fucking game. But now check this out. His grandmother, who was close with him growing up, was on her deathbed, right? Grammy, are you shitting me? Finally get a hold of Dana, her little Dana. He finds out she's real sick, calls her up. Grammy, get your bags. I'm going to say, what are they telling you? I'm going to fly you out here, put you in the best fucking care. I'm going to send my plane, yada, yada, yada. She died waiting for the call. Never mind the plane, the call. Now, I wouldn't even say something like that if I heard it, but his mother tells that story on video. You can look it up on YouTube, his own mother. He, she straight says, my son is a fucking horrible human being she straight up said I know for a fact he sleeps with all the UFC girls he'll send planes to go grab a UFC girl to bang her but he won't send a plane for his dying grandmother okay listen this dude is a fucking shitbag I can't stress that enough and my only question with his alliance to Heyman right the the, the thing with Heyman right I mean it's an odd relationship with you know what I mean, dude? From the word go, dude, he's a shitbag. Shitbag. From days when he was in his early 20s, he was he's just always, he fell in with those guys. He, he fell in shit and he came out smelling like roses, but it'll all come around. You can't, you can't play people dirty. Now, look what he does to his own media. Say you're a writer for the UFC, right? And you even write anything remotely scathing or if he even oh. gives an insult, he just pulls you're your that's... credentials. You're, not, yep. you're done. You're gone. You're not allowed to come back. And if he finds out you're writing for a separate source that's already been blackballed, Right or writing for somebody else. If he finds out you're doing a story, they said he's fired people in the office because he has rumors that they're telling sources to people he's blackballed. So he controls every fucking facet. So wait a minute, wait a minute. He's not a fan of fake news. That is that is Trumpian. Whoa, dude, this this guy is he's (laughs) off the hook, man. He's such an ego. I know you like that one, Gabe. <laughs> Dude, he's, yeah, uh, he's. Oh I mean, when you look at him, he is actually kind of boxing media's like test balloon for Trump and how to deal with a guy like that because he he oh, will lie in your face. He's a bully. Yep. He's an authoritarian fascist with the pulling of the credentials and all that. That's why I have such a problem with Schaefer. 
because he behaves in much the same way and never takes responsibility when he screws up, uh, citing the example of the way Schaefer spins what, his exit from Golden Boy, but also the fact that the, the way they screwed Kung Lee, a very good fighter and a guy of like high integrity, like a lot of martial arts as a whole. Dana screwed him at the end of his career and is unapologetic about it. Scumbag. Nice. If and you know and, and look at all you gotta do is watch. I'm sure you guys haven't seen it, but Dana looking for a fight. Basically, it's supposedly a couple of his closest friends travel around the world, just go to these shows, and they try to pick out you know guys for the UFC. You can even just watch around the way his supposed close friends treat him. You know what I mean? Like you can tell in the interactions, it's all ass kissy. He just got such a fucking ego. He's never told no. He's the boss. I mean, how many UFC fighters? Retire and say anything good about him. You know what I mean? He can see that's those the guys. telling thing. When he actually claimed I could take these middle, average, run-of-the-mill fighters and provide great livings for them, I said to myself, "Why haven't you done that in the UFC the past ten years?" Oh my God! I mean, see, this, I mean why do you have such a problem with them forming a union so they could protect themselves? If you care about the why are you blocking the Ali Act? Right <laughs> from your sports and he is. He's, he'd make Heyman look like he's a nice guy. But I wanted to ask something about Heyman, too, because something's always kind of – it's weird with me. Like, listen, obviously the intentions of the PBC were to get it off premium cable, Showtime, and basically get it back on free TV. So he, in essence, was working against Espinosa. That was his intention. So now that he's like, oops, sorry, I pissed away the money, and, you know, I just don't – is that a, that's got to be a weird – kind of a relationship now do you think that dana would be trying to leverage saying he wouldn't work with showtime because you think Heyman's trying to get espinoza's job you know no i, I don't see it no? i mean you that, as i've like said i i think steven is entrenched at showtime i think he's done a good yeah. job i do not believe that his job is in any danger good i, I, um, think, I think he had an excellent year I mean, I, I like, like the schedule. Year, I, for yeah. the most part, I think the schedule's pretty good coming up. It's just this whole – it's a strange dynamic. I, I mean, I, I, it's amazing. I've never seen a network be accused of under-reporting pay-per-view yeah, oh, yeah, numbers. I saw that. That's, and I'm then, like, and then what? And then Conor McGregor, you see his fucking classless response. Like, I used to like him. I still actually – now I want to see him get knocked out like everybody else. The shit he said, he said to Espinosa. And uh, listen, what you said about Frank uh, – Rich's um, the ref earlier too, Steve, 100% on Tony him. Tony right. Weeks. That's, that's fucking bullshit, dude. Listen, Frank Campuccino told me something. I asked him, like – I said, dude, what – you know, because, you know, remember, you know, Lampley, oh, you can stop it, Frank. You can stop it any time now. And he didn't stop it. And, you know, I asked him, and he said something that always stuck to me, and he was so right. He said, listen – you got to know who's in there. I know Mickey's never been stopped, and I know a Toro's never been knocked out. If you don't know who's in, you got to study. You know who's in there, and you got to know what fight is, what they can take. Is this a guy who goes out and has had taken some bad beatings? You, you show them. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, you can't gentrify or PC boxing. The name of the game is violence. It's just the end result is you're trying to knock somebody out. You, so if they start trying to fuck with that, but you're right, you can't trust them. Listen, if you were in an office with that fucking zipper head, Robert, uh, Robert Bennett, all he has to do is sit across from his desk, smile at you. Hey, did you see that Triple G Canelo fight? You see Adelaide Bird's card? There wasn't an investigation there. You think you're going to do anything that's going to get investigated? Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? And the other thing I is, just, you see Tony Weeks getting like plaques of honor from the people of uh, Ghana. Let, yeah. let me jump in on that because yeah. I, full disclosure, I didn't, you know, I watched the fight, but I didn't, you know, the, I watched it on, on YouTube, uh, the version that I think Ghana TV 
released. But it kind of, I, I didn't, they didn't put up the part where they give Tony Weeks the plaque. Steve sent me a picture of it during the show. What's that about? When did that happen? I need to find that. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah and that's, I need to find out. Hey, Dave, is it worse if it happened before the fight or after? That's a great like, debate right? I'm having in my mind right now. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's kind of like. I mean, is it a? I mean, because if it's before, it's like Tony, you're gonna do a good job. Wink, yeah. wink. Now, if it's after, it's Tony. Great job. Wink, wink. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, it's so sad. Like and it's sad while you're at it, you know. Uh, yeah. It, it's. <laughs> you know, and as it's like myself, strange. as and as I get older, and you know what I mean, like obviously I'm dealing with some shit, with you know, whatever, but so. I, like what's important to me is important and I don't want to invest time and it's disheartening that this happens in boxing and it almost becomes like, it's just, nobody's invested. I just don't, you know, you wouldn't see this kind of shit in the NFL. It's just, I wish one fucking time there'd be an investigation, even if nothing well, came out of it, just to know they would hold them. You know what I mean? Like there's gotta be an oversight committee or somebody to check some of this shit out. Yeah, but the but, NFL is not, isn't called the No Fun League for no reason. You know, they exactly. they like to celebrate a little bit more now. But you know, guys speak out of against the league, and it's ten grand, or you know, they do a, a, a exactly well, celebration I'm, of joy. I'm, know, a, I'm, a, uh, I'm here in Boston, so I'm a New England fan. They're not even allowed to celebrate. You know that. You, did you, <laughs> they're not even allowed to answer questions about the celebrations at the press conference, which is hilarious. He yeah, when they ask them. I'm sorry. Don't, yeah. I thought it was so funny. They asked Gronkowski about one of his celebrations, and he just has a big goofball that I love. He said, well, uh, uh, we're not really allowed to talk about it. So uh, uh, uh. I'm like, okay, Gronk, enough said. I, I like you, but we can't even talk about it. Yeah. He sends people like – he sent people home after – I mean, it was a blizzard. One guy was four minutes late, and he sent them home. He didn't so, care. Yeah, just, he didn't, you know what's funny? I actually saw footage of the Patriots – walking onto the practice field, right? And I'm thinking to myself, and I'm watching this, I'm like, how the hell can you get anything accomplished in this weather? I mean, my God, you're not doing the Iditarod. You're doing football, you know? And and I'll hang up on this guy. I know you want to answer the game. But listen, I know you're seeing this shit now with Brady. I'm telling you right now, because his last few weeks hasn't been that good. The going census around here is um, Tom, I mean, Belichick's kids leaked that story to fire to piss Brady off because you know when Brady's angry like last year he had Goodrow you know what I mean when he's angry he always plays better so of course oh. spinning it yeah they're all saying Belichick let that story come out now because it could have came out the whole Garoppolo thing at the end of the season but it came out now to fuck because Brady's furious obviously they're saying he got fucking a receiver hurt you know all the shit they're saying so his age he's looking like he's 40 very so Machiavellian by Bill Belichick yeah wow very and, and Machiavellian uh, Greg Bedard, he's obviously, I know you're a fan of him. Greg Bedard, you know, he even said it to on radio station. He wouldn't be surprised by the timing of this. Was the piss no, no, off. listen, there's no doubt that was a Belichick side leak. That that one <laughs> was very obvious. Jimmy, we got to get running, okay? Absolutely. Gentlemen, hey, All right. happy new year. It was awesome. Oh, Jimmy's gone, just like that. All right, well, anyway, I think we've pretty much, by the way, guys, uh, score here in the SEC Invitational. It's 0-0 after one quarter, so you really didn't miss that much. It's a classic SEC slugfest. But, Gabe, I think it's fair to say that when Zufa Boxing gets started, no matter who they're partnered up with, me and you, we're not getting credentials. We, we've banned ourselves after these two hours. There's no doubt I'm, in my uh, mind. 
I've already been blocked by Dana White, so I'm over the Kung Lee stuff. So uh, I'm out. I, you know, I've been remiss. We have at 60 seconds. Uh, WBA, they shake down Rigo for 15K so that he doesn't do the mandatory rematch for the guy that had been knocked out and probably needed a little rest anyways. Uh, and then they say you're going to lose your belt if you don't win this next fight in a different division. So they strip him, and then they've kicked him out of their rankings. Uh, you know, everybody knows what's going on here. And I think it's a terrible precedent. I know everybody feels about Rigo, uh, whose deal with rock nation expires in the summer. I, I don't know what kind of free agent he's going to be. He can go to the UK, but I just think it's, it's kind of a travesty. Uh, I don't, and there's no recourse. It was kind of ties into for a sanctioning there. body that has as many interim titles and various, you know, they just can't say, "Hey, listen, Rigo, within six months of this next fight, you've got to defend the belt." That's reasonable. Just tell him, yes. no matter what happens in the Lomachenko fight, within 180 days, you've got to defend that title. That to me is fair. Just to strip him right off the top. Eh. It sounds very, very punitive. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, but anyway, I want to thank everyone that made this show possible, our special guest, Tom Loeffler, and Jimmy's Corner, who's filled in the last 20 minutes. So I want to thank everyone that called in. We have a full slate of shows for this year. So on behalf of David Duenas and the rest of the Leave It in the Ring radio network, for Gabe Montoya, this is Steve Kim saying goodbye, everybody.